we lost um, our spirituality as a people, as a civilization in general. Um, our sense with uh, our connectivity with something that's transcendent. Everyone thinks they're enlightened. Not everyone, but some think they're enlightened until they go home to family. But the greatest pleasure in the world that we experience is the absence of self in the experience. The journey of life is to see old pastures with new eyes. Whatever you see is just seeing it. Right? That's not the problem. The, pr the, the, the problem is never what you see. It's how you see it. The problem is never the thing in itself. It's how you're experiencing it. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm sitting here with Rabbi Pinson. How are you, Pinson? Hi. How are you? Baruch Hashem, yes. But before we go in, I don't know why this thought yeah. it popped into my head last night, just popped into my head again when I said your name. So when I was a kid growing up in Crown Heights, they um, playing with animals or seeing animals that were not kosher was frowned upon. You're familiar with yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Your name is Beer. Yeah. What is, what's going on? You mean the discrepancy between playing with animals and... I mean, we won't look at a picture. We'll name our kid it. It seems... Maybe I shouldn't say it. I'm curious from curiosity. I'm just wondering. Um, first of all, this is this... The idea is original idea from the Rebbe. The Rebbe, like, it's, it's, not, it's not... There's no real sources before this that children should look at the animals. There isn't actually no source for this. Meaning there is... It's based on ideas, but there's no like clear halachic or other previous source that says you should make sure your children, children don't play with, with stuffed animals that look like other animals. Um, the, the rationale that the Rebbe gave was that we are very much affected by what we see, certainly children, um, not even on a conscious level, but more on a subliminal level, we pick up messages. And certain animals that maybe have like aggressive nature, if you surround the child with aggressive nature, I know like a lot of Western ways of projecting these animals, portraying these animals are always trying to make them more docile and more friendly. That's like, like a the, teddy bear. It's correct, not right, concept. exactly. So it, there, is, there is this way of, uh, you know, anthropomorphizing them in the way that they're, you know, humans and they're very kind. And uh, this is nothing, this is not disparaging of not animals. It's actually animals are perfect. Every animal is exactly perfect. Um, the only imperfection in creation is us. Everything that God, Hashem created in the world, everything God created in this world is exactly doing exactly what it's doing. But there are certain natures that are have aggressive natures, which in, translate into human experience. And the animal experience, is, it is what it is, but there's no, there's no judgment of, of nature. There's no morality in nature. But in human experiences, there is this idea of that we are a affected by the things that we eat, by the things that we surround ourselves energetically. And therefore, like this idea of trying to um, surround a child with only images that are more docile, more uh, energetically less aggressive was, was the idea. But there are actually, when he spoke about it, he said also kids can go to, children can go to the, to the you know, to the zoo or to see animals in, in, in nature's state. It's not like it was against animals. It's, uh, it's more how do you create, what is the environment that you're creating for a child in the first, you know, experiences of life that is going to be the most holy and pristine to protect that. So that's what I'm saying. So you're saying as to how does it have with names. So names, you know, a lot of Jewish names, it goes back even to, to, to the times of the Torah, 
the Shvatim are all, all the tribes of Yaakov, the sons of Yaakov are all described as a, a particular animal trait. They're, right. they're symbolic of a particular animal, animal and none trait. And none of them kosher. And none of them kosher, correct. So, none of them kosher? No, not, not mostly not kosher, correct. Okay. You know, snakes and, and, and things like that. But uh, Zev, uh, but a wolf. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a heightened sensitivity. I would also say that um, maybe it's like a precursor for we're, we're we're leaving the age of information that's gathered through the left part of the brain, and we're entering like in in, in, the, in, the, in the development of human history. We started off with pictures. That's the way language is originally as pictures. We didn't. The left part of the brain was not really developed. So language. Uh, the, the, that's one of the big revolutions of human uh, evolution. Is all right. Here we go. It's an ad, but it's not an ad because I was paid. It's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the, the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for you in my companies from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it in that space, you want to create content, he's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. Reach out to Ryan at scarletroad.com. Not only is the depictions of images, but to convey an idea. So let's say you had a cow and I had a camel and we wanted to exchange in a very primitive way of language is was it was a picture. You had a cow, a picture of a cow, you had a picture of a camel, and we had to change them. And then I know that I have to give you a camel for the cow. Then human civilization started developing as proper civilization, we call civilization, which is uh, interaction, creativity and 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 living in amongst people together as a communities was through language, the possibility of conveying ideas. And that was very much a left brain activity. So that's where language developed. And in the course of that, of the development of the human species, we develop very good uh, understandings or ways of communicating and creativity on the left side of the brain, but we also lost the right part of the brain. Which, what I mean by that is that we lost our intuition, our sense of uh, transcendence or prophetic visual. The prophets, like a prophet, is, is someone that's seeing a vision, not 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 specifically hearing a particular uh, record uh, voice that's telling him something. It's a certain type of vision. A prophet is someone that has a heightened sense of. And you're saying that's right brain. That's the right part of the brain. The right part of the brain is only connected more with the creative part of the brain. And the left part of the brain is connected with language. So, for example, if a person has, uh, let's say, get God forbid, a person has a stroke in the left part of the brain, they lose language. A person gets has a stroke in the right part of the brain, they lose um, a sense of wholeness of of like they won't get a phrase like "you are what you eat." If a person has a damaged right brain, because you're not, it's not, it's not linguistically, it doesn't linguistically make sense. You are what you eat, but or you know, whatever any type of colloquial type of phrase, 
but it's if you take it in its entirety, like a metaphor, a metaphor, exactly. And they don't get metaphor and allegory. It's correct. That's that's correct. So what happens? What happened with civilization is we became very empirical, very scientific. This is actually a good thing, also, and uh, you know, all the medical breakthroughs and technology breakthroughs is all left brain. Um, but we also, because of that, we lost um, our spirituality as a people, as a civilization in general. Um, our sense with uh, our connectivity with uh, something that's transcendent, something that's numinous. And you got you got here from the pictures of animals. For, yeah. For kids. No. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the, I'm gonna get okay. to the. I'm sorry. This long winded. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's good. Long winded response. It's a podcast. But, it's yeah. Exactly. So we'll just we'll just yeah. we'll just go with it. We don't have to cut to commercials. <laughs> okay. Fine. So what I'm what I'm saying is that that um, in order to in order to reclaim that more prophetic intuitive type of 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 mind which is more the uh, uh, like a, a, a prophetic type of consciousness we need to develop further our right parts of the brain and as we're as a civilization we're moving from inf an information age which is gathered through the left part of the brain to depictions today most people learn their information actually through through seeing um not like a podcast but even a podcast would be like something similar to that which is you, but certainly through film or things like that, which you're which you're gathering information through a narrative that's being told through a story. This is actually seen from a big cosmic, big picture story. It's a return to prophecy, or it's a return to the possibility of prophecy, a development of of imagination, uh, a, a development of the capacity to visualize, to to see things in a, in, a, in, a, in a, from that perspective. Sort of the marriage of these two things will be the perfect state, where we can marry the the visual with the with the audible, the, these two. So, so what did it look like before? Meaning, I, I understand now what the world looks like, where there's a very heavy focus on logic and. Yeah, well, the, so the, the 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 if you if you want to go like, like this, if you want to say it like this, the Greeks basically, all of Western civilization is basically a footnote to Aristotle. I don't know if you're familiar a little with the, with the Greek philosophers, but there was there was Aristotle was the first one to say that whatever you see is real. There's nothing else real besides what you're experiencing. Only what is empirically real. There's no ideas that stand outside the human experience of seeing, has to be, or or hearing. It has to be an actually, an actually a tangible experience. So we want to be able to measure it. You want to, yeah, it has to be if measured. Can't measure it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, if you can't measure it, it can't exist. So there's no, there's no, there's no. I thought uh, he was smart. Okay. He was, yeah, he was, he was obviously very intelligent. And <laughs> um, the Rama writes that he was close to prophecy, which means he was that close, but he didn't get the prophecy. Which means that prophecy is the ability to intuit, to to sense, to hear something that is not necessarily being empirically proven. Um, that's a that's a prophetic sense, um, and um, and all of Western civilization is is founded on the on the basic philosophical principles of or, or you know of Aristotle. All all modern. Uh, philosophy and modern science is, is essentially based on this way of thinking. And you're, and you're treating that as left brain? I'm treating that as left brain, correct. So prior to that, right brain would look like what kind of society? Um, in one way, very primitive, because there's no understanding of life, right? You can't, like when it thunders, uh, there's no interpretation of what that means. Like, how does it thunder? So if it's thundering, it's probably the gods, quote unquote, are like angry. And then with lightning, so there's there is one on one sense is very primitive and very uh, uh, you know steeped in an idol worship reality. But on the other hand, the 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 flip side of that is that people are very spiritual, 
which means maybe they gave too much spirituality to every single phenomenon that they experience, but they were also open to having dialogue with something that's transcendent of them. So the 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 world was a much more magical place, um, and the Western West Western civilization killed the magic, and um, and that's helpful. Like if you need, if God forbid, if you have a toothache. And you go to a magical doctor, it's a lot, a lot, you know, maybe it's not going to help you. But if you went to someone that actually studied medicine, it will. So there's a lot of advancements. Okay? The fact that we're sitting around having conversations, all because of the left brain development. But we lost that intuitive, prophetic, more heightened states of consciousness. And the way the world is moving towards that direction of more visual shows us that we're actually entering into more prophetic age. You're saying in the last 30, 40, correct. 50 years. Correct, correct, correct. And you're envisioning a... A synthesis between these two, that would be the ultimate harmony. If you if you're familiar a little with the Hebrew alphabet, a little bit, just if you're just uh, go ahead, okay, you can go anywhere. So, if you look at the alphabets, the it's read from right to left, okay, which is very interesting. Instead of from left to right, which there's a subtle shift in your actual phys- physical positioning of your head when you're reading from right to left. Right, so if you're reading to right to left, you're going to turn your head towards the right. Right, right. So automatically, what you're doing is they're subtly shifting your your everything that we do in our body has an immediate effect on our consciousness. So the, the you know this this notion that they're two separate things is not true. That our consciousness and our body are, are one and the same. So an effect one uh, cause of one affects the other very 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 clearly. So when you're you know moving your head into one direction, you're actually shifting your consciousness to the right side of the brain. So you're reading from right to left, which you're reading letters, but you're shifting it from a right perspective. And when you write Hebrew letters, you you move from left to right. So let's say if you're writing a letter Aleph, for example. Oh, right. You'll write, you actually start from the left side. So you're starting from the left, and that's the way you move, to write the letter. But when you're reading, you're reading the other direction. You're following? So the, yeah. the actual writing of the letter is left to right, but the reading is right to left. And English... English, by the be, way, the, 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 you're reading it from left to right, but how do you... And you're writing left to right. Okay. Yeah, you're writing left to right. It's always a left to right thing. So the left to right idea is that you're activating the left part of the brain stronger, and that's what you're saying. This is the process we're doing. Now, this is very subtle, and and you just... and It's it's, it's, it's very, barely measurable if you want, but it's, it is subtle. It does have a subtle, different way of relating to it. Once you're starting to to write one way and to read the other way, what you're doing in a very subtle way when you're doing this with the Hebrew language is you're activating both parts. You're trying to make some type of synthesis like between... Like session. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're actually turning your head back and forth, correct. Okay. And, and that's what you're doing. Um, that's why that, the, the, the writing of even Hebrew letters... This is, by the way, this is a question you asked about the animals. But the writing of Hebrew letters be, becomes in itself a spiritual practice like literally writing letters or transmuting letters or serif of letters, combination of letters, because of that idea also. Because what you're doing is you're, you're moving the, the mind in different ways, subtly moving it back and forth, and somehow it can induce you into a higher but state the, of consciousness. The reason we write left to right in Hebrew is, and that's the way it was taught. It could have been taught to us the other I know, but it was done intentionally. Got it. So, the, the, like the, 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 the Mukabalim say, the Kabbalists say, that you, light, you write left to right because that's Gvur to Chesed. So that's the left side to the right side. So, and then when you're reading, it's v'chesed So, like, it depends how you're, 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 but you're trying to activate one or the other or both together. Um, getting back to this idea of imagery and why we started this conversation, 
I think the Rebbe anticipated bringing a, a spiritual master in that way, um, anticipated the revolution that was going to happen, started happening during his lifetime, but certainly after afterwards, of people learning through imagery. And sort of, it's a foundational idea that you should make sure that the imagery that you're taking in should be positive. That's a, that's a, that's a blanket statement for everything. Like what we, what we see will have an effect on us. But he was communicating a, a subtlety, a nuance. Of Correct. Be sensitive uh, to this. Be sensitive, especially moving forward. We are going to become very much inundated through, through imagery. Um, be sensitive to it because, you know, some people, they wake up in the morning, look at their phone, and they see something terrible happening in the world, and they shut up the phone, fine. And then the rest of the day, they're angry. And they're like, why am I angry today? Well, that's the first images you took into your mind, and that's the first interpretation. That's the foundation of everything that you're experiencing. I saw this study they did where they showed, I don't remember how many pictures it was, let's say 100 or 1,000 in very quick succession. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, faster than, you know, you can, yeah. you, you can actually name each one. And then asking people afterwards, okay, what did you see? A boat, a car, a plane. And people can remember very few of them. Right. But then putting up two pictures side by side and saying, was this one of them? Was this one of them? Was it? And in this, when they go in the second way of remembering a picture, did you see that before? It's near 100%. There you go. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we take in billions of imagery every single, you know, every single day. But it cements in our brain in a different way. Correct. And it lodges into our consciousness, not in a verbal way. So therefore, we don't know how to give it context. Like if someone, if someone tells you something insulting and you heard it, right, and it registered, okay, then throughout the day you feel like a little hurt, you know why. But if you see something and it's an image and it's very quick and it lodged into like a level, a, level, a level of your subconscious, like how do you know that it's even there? And then you're walking around with some sort of frustration. And it will show, by the way, most imagery that we have throughout the day shows up in our dreams. That's the way the, the system expunges and gets rid of all this stuff that we see so it'll, it'll have to like regurgitate and like come up to some level of your subconscious from subconscious to your conscious and that's you know that's that's the film that you see by night more or less is what you saw during the day yeah or prophecy <laughs> or prophecy exactly <laughs> prophecy happens if you are able to control your imagery your vision your, your your inner your inner your inner image meaning um, most people are, th this is the Koyachadimi, like the power of imagination. So the, the Rambam, Maimonides, has a very clean definition. He says, it's like a horse, and either you're riding the horse or the horse is riding you. Which means it has a lot of potential, the power of a visualization, the power to imagine. But either you become consumed by it, and it just takes you wherever it goes. And that's like externally induced. And it just induces it, like seduces you to all those types of strange like fantasy, fa the world of fantasy, correct? And so, fantasy is the negative part of it. That's why um, the Sephora and other serious commentators write in the beginning of the Torah where it speaks about the snake that the snake is fantasy. That's not actually what it is. It's the world of fantasy. It's the world of like of of the possibility of something that's not really possible, but it's externally created. It's not you. You didn't create it. Imagery, if it's done correctly, is is like the, the skin of your flesh. Like the flesh would be the thought process, and then you put the skin. This is that reason why it says Isaac Gloria. That it would be like the, the, the skin of your flesh, which means I have an idea, 
And then I use my power of imagination to imagine that idea coming into fruition or, or being experienced. And that's the way things become really ingrained when we can visualize that. And the more we could control our power of imagination, which means we, we are the, the controller of that of that that picture, of that narrative, the more we make ourselves into a filter through which higher imagery can come through us. And we have a, we have we are we have the the ability to actually translate that that information in a correct way. So if I have no control over my subconscious, let's or my my power of imagery, and I'm bombarded in a dream with maybe some prophetic insight, the time it gets to my consciousness, I have so no control of that that it becomes completely muddy that I don't I have no idea what it meant. Right, the interpretation becomes impossible. Impossible, correct. But if you're sensitive, that you, you know, there's always. There's always a certain, just like there's the experience in life. Let, let's think about it this way. There's, there's the immediate experience of life, which has no narrative and has no picture. It's just the experience of actually being in the experience. And then we lay over every experience with a certain, with a, with a certain conception of the experience or a certain understanding of experience. Let's say like for a narrative of it? A narrative, correct. We create a narrative. Let's say I'm drinking a cup of water, right? So there's two things that are happening. I'm actually experiencing the drinking the cup of water, which is, is a physical phenomenon. There's no, there's no interpretation to that. This is, it just is me drinking water. And then there's, oh, I was thirsty. Now I'm, because I'm quenched my thirst. There's a narrative. Oh, it's so great to have this cup of water. It's, so there, there's, there's certain projections that we constantly project over stories. And then the question is, are we in control of that projection? Do we control it? Do we decide how we're going to experience this world? Or is it all because of all the stimulus that's happening to us that we automatically have that story? And how do we know? If you could pause and stop the story. If we can recognize that it's a yeah, story. Yeah, if, if you can stop. Yeah, could you just, could you just like take a cup of water and say like, I, you know, we do this all, all the time because a lot of things people think are very, very high levels of spiritual. It's not actually because every person does it. Every person meditates. Every person has focus. Every person has mindfulness. Everyone. And so the question is what? Let's say, if you, do you enjoy music? I do, actually. Okay. Let's say you're listening to music, okay? It's like the best possible music you're listening to. You put you have your headphones and you're completely lost in the experience. And for like five minutes or two minutes or a minute, you're like really deeply into the music that you completely forgot that you're actually listening to the music, right? You become so one with the experience. Right, you become the music. You become the music. And then you get out of that and you're like, oh, that was nice music. It was interesting music. And then you have a whole analysis of the music. That was that, Yeah, that moment was one with the experience. You just had a real experience without a narrative. You just one with the experience itself. You're one with life, and when you're one with life, there's no interpret. There's no. There's no overlay of that experience. There's no interpretation. In fact, the the greatest pleasure in the world, which is counterintuitive, but the greatest pleasure in the world that we experience is the absence of self in the experience. When we let go of ourselves in the experience. All right, that's what we're trying to do: is lose oneself. Correct. In the experience, so like what what the experience is, and just be in the experience. Well, that's that's unity. That's like divine. That's vacuous. That's that's what it is. Right. Flow or lost track of time. Correct. All the same. Uh, Correct. So you're asking about how do you know? Well, if you can stop yourself, if you could, if you recognize that it's a film, like could you? Right. I think by the way, even like you're walking down the street and you're seeing a lot of things going on, just close your eyes for a second. Like all of a sudden, that whole pic, that whole story just ended. Like where did that go? It disappeared. Not only, did this, not only did it disappear from your view, it actually disappeared it, from you. So technically, it, it disappeared. Until you open your eyes again. And then it reappears. Right. 
but it's a reappearance. It's not that it was there when you're not there. The world doesn't exist outside of us. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no subject and object in this in this creative story. There's there's no separation between me and you and me and the experience. There's only the experiences that that is happening. Life is happening, right? This is the this is the oneness of Hashem. Life is just one. It's right. all the separation that creates all the drama and the trauma and all the neurosis that people experience is because we're living in the place of the separation. So then we attach stories to it. We attach stories. We have to. So okay, this is my story. This is me. I'm this person, this, you're this person, this is my story. If I insult you that you're not a good uh, podcaster, then you're going to be very, you understand? I created a story, then I get like all defensive about the story, and then I'm fighting for the story. There's no story. Just life. This is this happening. Right. Just this. Just right this. here, right now. Yeah. Which we don't even know if it really exists. How do we know this is happening? Just, you, <laughs> you, can, you can't know, of course, because by right. knowing, that's already an overlay of the experience. You just are the experience. You're not knowing that you're having the experience. You're actually having the experience. That's it. That's it. That's it. Understood, right? So if you're listening to music and you're lost in that space, the second you ask the question of yeah, you're no longer how do I know this is happening? Correct. Right. Then you're then you're not there. Already. You've lost it. Correct. You lost the thread. <laughs> yeah. So is the point to keep the thread? The point is this is a very good question, by the way. This is a very good question. The point is to to get that state so real to you that anytime you're living through the experiences of life you never get so entangled that you can't get yourself untangled so there there is there is like i don't know it's like a funny word to say but there's, there there is the the mediocrity of life of, of let me give you i'll give you maybe a better example the balshamtov once said about himself he says when he was younger when he was in that state of dvekas like real one he said when he met people on the street, he couldn't talk to them. Because anytime he talked to them, he's like engaged in, other, in, in like the drama of life and it just pulled him down. So when he got real, he got older, he was able to do that. Like be that place and just and be present there also. Oh, got it. Okay. That's the that's the cons. That's the trick. Right. To be in the space and not be able to pull out. Correct. Right. To sit on a mountaintop and not be pulled out. That's nothing. That's not our that's not that's to not walk Judaism. down the street. To walk down See the someone in pain. Correct. Hear their struggles. Hear their struggle. Feel their don't pain. Get pulled out. Yeah. Right. That's hard. <laughs> that's life. That's that. That's like what Judaism is. Not, that's like the, the, the what's what Yiddishkeit is really about. That that balance, which is not found in any nowhere. That's that's it's a it's a chiddush. It's a, it's a novelty, and I think it's also a novelty that Jews have to express to the world. That the world has to know this. Now, how would you say it? Yeah. I mean, comparing it to there's a lot of other traditions, Lahavdil, that that will will speak about a type of transcendence of this world. That to get untangled from from the trauma of ex, of existence, just even the trauma, not even if you're traumatized, just the trauma of existence, right? Is to and is to get off the wheel. It's just to get off to get off this hamster wheel of of, of transcendent to transcend to be in a place of of the witness self, or in. A Kabbalistic language we call like the the das the, the the aid the witness self to observe self and you're you're always good you're just it's just you're just watching this thing passing by. How is that different than the Balshemtiv interacting with people? Because he got engaged. He okay, actually, so it's the witness self without engaging. Yeah, right. You're getting you're a witness self without engaging. Here you're getting engaged. Like I, I really feel your pain. I really I'm, I'm going to feel pain because I feel your pain. I'm choosing to enter into the place of the mediocrity or the place of duality, if you wish. Because I know that that's where you're at, and I want to be engaged with you in the, in the places you're at. And life happens in that place, like you know, 
marriage, children, family life. That's like part of that place. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, if you really want to know if a person's a real master, you have to really ask his wife. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, cause otherwise, you know, you know, that's the place that life happens. Like, could you be in that place where life is really happening? Yeah. Like Ram Dass said something similar. He says, um, everyone thinks they're enlightened. Not everyone. But right. Someone can think they're enlightened until they go home to family. Exactly. That's, that's, right. that's, that's not good. Yeah. That's really the point. Right. So where life happens, can we still be in that? Could you still be in a place of Vegas where life is happening in the place of unity where life is happening? And that's like the merging of the yesh and I, these are like these Kabbalistic words of between nothingness and emptiness or, or fullness and emptiness. So you're saying in other major religions, this concept of. It's either going to be very much focused on, on, on action based, like, you know, doing kindness and, and charitable acts, which is beautiful. Uh, that's I'm not putting this down, but that's going to be the, the, the focus or it's going to be a, a pulling away totally from life. Like to live celibate and to live on top of a mountain, live, live detached from family. That would be the, the way to untangle yourself from the drama of life. And in Yiddishkeit, that's, that's not an option. When you say, you say Yiddishkeit, but it feels to me also like the difference between uh, the ghetto Jew and the Chabad Jew. Um, There's a form of detachment there too. Yeah, but the ghetto the, Jews say I'm going to. Yeah, that that's 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 culture insularity. That's a different. That's a different thing. There's certain people. There's certain sects of Jews that felt that in order to hold on to their own inner culture, um, they create a, you create an insular secular uh, culture. So like secular culture has nothing to offer, so we'll create an own insular culture. That's 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 one. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to be totally engaged in every single like you know modern phenomena that's happening like you have to be up to date with all the you know film and music and that's if you want you want that's not not even the that's not the conversation it's the question is how do you relate to life in general are you a person that's always looking to escape it to be in a place of of transcendence in the that inner place of peace where everything's always perfect and whole or are you willing to go into the mud into the place where you know to the grime to place to the place where there's actually life is lived in a different way and to be there. Okay, so while it sounds good, I grew up, I mean, I grew up here. Yeah. Right, in Crown Heights. Yeah. And I felt, I mean, I feel like being in the grime was more of the message than transcend, than transcending. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, Meaning, I, I know. You're talking about a duality. Uh, yeah, I'm holding a duality together, a paradox. Right. But it feels like, I, think I felt like I got one. I I, 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 I totally hear what you're saying. I think um, there's there's something very interesting about about Judaism, which is people don't people don't understand. I mean, people a lot of you do, but a lot of you don't really understand is that, that especially when you're talking about a religious Jewish community, ninety nine percent of the people that are involved in this in this type of community didn't have a choice or didn't make a choice to join the community. So it's more like a culture phenomenon. It's like this is the way your parents practice, this is the way your siblings practice, and this is the way I'm going to practice. Where in other, let's say, Lahavdal, if you say, let's say, a person becomes a Buddhist monk or something, so this person is going to choose a certain pathway of spirituality. So therefore, this person will be very much more much more dedicated to their spiritual practice than the average guy that's born into a Jewish community. So that's the difference. So, so therefore, it's like very hard to judge like from the, from the collective, besides the fact that always when you're dealing with a collective, um, 
that's what generally happens. People, most people just want to deal with life. They don't, you know, they're not interested in, you know, uh, there's like a hierarchy of needs. So like if you're dealing with basic food on the table, it's, it's very hard for a person to evolve to that place where they're starting to think about more spiritual matters. So I Even think, if the language someone is surrounded by is all spiritual. Correct. You, you, you end up interpreting the language very, very pedestrial. You're, you're in you interpret spiritual language as a thing. You know, it's like Attila's is Attila's. Yeah, you know, that's like a high spiritual world. Like, no, Attila's is actually a state of consciousness. So you, you can't speak about something if you don't know what you're talking about. So what is that? So you're going to repeat a word and say, okay, we learned that Attila's comes to be, but what does that mean? Like, how are you experiencing it? What does it actually mean to you? And for most people, it's just, it's just a word. So I, I understand the phenomenon. But, uh, you know, someone once said, unfortunately, you can't judge Judaism by Jews. So. <laughs> right. I wasn't saying it from that perspective. What I'm saying is, is that I wasn't like, it wasn't a knock on. I'm saying that it, it when you take the two aspects of yeah. it, it seems like there was. There was more focus on the other. Right. As opposed to, say, Buddhism, right, which I haven't interacted with it deeply, but a lot of the meditation you see in in the U.S. comes yeah. from those, yeah. you know, comes from those places or going to yoga studios or other right. meditation practices or things like that, where there's a lot of messaging around the the transcendence, like that gets its ear time, so to speak. So that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, okay, I got like it. it. Almost didn't, I don't feel like it had its ear time. It, Not it, that it, 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 you know what it, it did it did have its airtime. It's just the way it was under it was transmitted. The information was there. You know, like you were learning Hasidic text. I just think it was again not the knock or or this or the the, the the way the average experience is, is it's it's information. You're learning it as information, not not necessarily tools for transformation. So you're learning information, you know, okay, might as well learn this or learn something else. But if someone told you that what you're going to learn this mimer now is going to be transformative, that everything you're looking for is like inner peace and, and, and harmony, and you're going to experience it through learning what Attilas and what Attilas within you is, what that experience is, I think you would be... So you're talking about a mimer. Obviously, today my experiences are different where right. I'm, you know, I'm learning some of these, kind of revisiting some right. of these texts myself. But you're talking about that as an experience, not, yeah. as, a, not as a learning yeah, so this is not a is not a learning. It's not an intellectual uh, activity. It's 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 a it's a it's a tool for dvekas. It's a tool to reach transcendence. It's uh, it's yeah, it's not it's not it's not another another idea where yeah yeah it's not another idea. No, it's not. It shouldn't. So what does that what does that look like? The experience of it. Whatever you're learning, whatever you're learning, experience. You're learning about that you have a soul. What does that mean? Like what does it mean to have? What does it mean to have a soul? Like what does what does a soul mean to me? Like you have to ask yourself. Like what, when when you're saying these words, what is what is it telling me? Not from a not from a purely philosophical idea that oh, there's an idea of a soul and there's five levels of soul and there's oh, okay, fine, okay, you got the information correctly. But like what what, what does it mean to you? And how do you experience it? Because these are th these are living words. These are these are these are living words. So the living words means they were they were they were lived by a teacher that experienced them and that he spoke them in, into words, his experience. I heard from someone that the other half of Tanya, that the other said, this is Tanya, the other half is music or something. Correct, correct. You can't understand Tanya without music. So what does that mean practically? What is that? It means you need a you need a, you need a soul. You don't you know, you know, you need a soul to, to access this information. It's not left brain. It is also left brain, but it's it's the expansion or the implosion of left brain 
to the to taking your left intellectual process of understanding things to its furthest conclusion until you reach a point where you where it just transcended to the place of iron to nothingness. So you're going through the understanding. And- yeah, in Chabad, that's the idea. That's the Alter Rebbe's idea. Was this to, is the Alter Rebbe? There was a big debate, like in the beginning of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings. Chassidus was experiential. That's that's the fundamental idea of, and experiential in a way that's not transcendental of experience, but within the experience itself. Whatever you're experiencing, experience deeply. Like if you're having an emotion. Be there fully in that emotion till, till that emotion becomes something that's transcendent. I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but uh, what Baal Shem Tov wanted is that every single thing, every single human capacity should be lived to its fullest. And when you reach its fullest experience of this capacity, you'll actually connect to the divine. I'll give you an example. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. But if, if you go to its core and to its fullest, um, for example, uh, one, there's a story that's told over in Rashi's Chachma, which is like a classic book of Musar that the Chassidic Rabbis love this story, where there is this uh, this very simpleton, very simple guy. He sees a princess walking through his town. You know the story? Familiar mm-hmm. story? He sees a princess walking through his town, and he screams out there, if only I could be with you for one night. He's a very simple guy. That's what he wants. And the princess the princess says, this is a Rashi's Chachma, so this is like a very serious text. Yeah. Leo Dividas, a student of Ramak, 1500s, says that uh, she says, yeah, in the cemetery. Which she meant, like, you know, next life. It's not happening. Right, over my dead body. Over my dead body, correct. Something <laughs> like that. But he didn't understand that, right? He didn't have the right, he didn't have the right <laughs> part of the brain. So he didn't get that, you know, that messaging. So he thought he actually has to go to the cemetery. So he, so he goes to the cemetery. Remember, he sees this, this, this princess for like a moment. He did, like, she was just passing. And he's sitting there all night and he's waiting for her. He's like pining for this, this woman that's going to come. And he's sitting there and his heart is really open with love to feel her, to be with her. And night after night he's sitting there night after night pining for her longing for her yearning for her and of course her the image of who she was starts fading because he doesn't really have a real image of her so first is some type of silhouette of an image then the image becomes like completely like transparent then the image disappears and he's left he's just left left with like this feeling infinite amount of love <laughs> and the love just starts expanding 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 he becomes the greatest love in the universe and the story ends that he becomes a great tzaddik like a very righteous man in the cemetery still waiting for her and people are coming to ask him blessings. That's taking the feeling, and this, if you're going to enlarge that feeling to its maximum, you're going to get to a place of transcendence. You're just going to be the greatest lover. So any experience that you have, feel it very deep, or experience very deeply. So in a lot of the students of the Baal Shem Tov, that became more, whether through music or dance or going out into the forest, like these types of, Embodied experience, also in the body itself. For the Alter Rebbe, who is a very big intellectual, I don't have to tell you that. For the Alter Rebbe, he said that if you're going to leapfrog the intelligent part of yourself, would say, okay, I'm just, I'm a heart person. I just want to really be connected on a heart level. Okay, but your mind is going to play tricks on you because your mind is not going to be in the same place where your heart is. So maybe for the experience itself, it's going to be very pleasant, but tomorrow you're going to wake up the same person because the the new narrative is going to come up. So he said, okay, let's get the mind engaged. Okay, so bring it through to its full capacity. Yeah, do the full capacity. And in like in, in spiritual language, this is like get it to the place of chachma, the place of like highest levels of intuition, and then it implodes into iron, to nothingness. So you like you take the the mind, and you use it fully and, and engage in the process of understanding until the point where it's beyond your understanding, and you're left with the with the the, the previous Rabbi Rayat speaks about like you're left with the energy of the thought, 
like not with the thought itself, like the, the, the idea beyond the thought, and then you're left with the energy itself. No thought. Pure thoughtlessness. Thank you. Napoleon Hill has a concept in his book, um, Think and Grow Rich, Sexual Transmutation. Yeah. Which sounds very uh -huh. similar of taking right the sexual energy, detaching it from however it was generated, and then just expanding that feeling until it's creative energy. Correct. So th this is a very, very deep teaching from the Balsham Tov about this. Um, I actually just spoke about it a few weeks ago on, when I was doing a, talking about Maidim. It's a very, it's very subtle, and it's not necessarily for every person to understand this because people are going to take it in the wrong way. But it's it's about taking the most raw energy of the body, and and using that same visceral raw energy for like for transformation. Instead of using it directed to a particular person, which means almost a depletion of that energy, because the moment it's released, it's, it ends. Right. You actually use it to to generate even more energy, and it's a whole it's a whole process of how you bow and through the the, the the spine, which is the snake energy. It's a whole like complicated thing that based on a very deep teaching from the Ari on, on Kavanas Ari on Davening Shemadasri. But the Balshem did this. Um, and that's where the Balshemta talks, which he, the, I don't want to say he got into trouble, but this is one of the teachings that Balshemta said, and people had issues with, with it. Um, smaller people had issues with this, but is that Balshemta says that uh, when a person daven, it's like it's like it's like intimacy, like you have to experience intimacy. He says that's why people move their hands and shake, and then they stop shaking because you're going through states of intimacy. And what he's really saying is, on a deep level, it is, it is. If you can be that place, you can actually experience what it means to be ultimate pleasure, not pleasure, ultimate tiny, which is the highest level of pleasure. Ultimate pleasure is not, is not localized in the body. Like if you have pleasure in your foot, or pleasure is someone's tickling on your foot, or you have pleasure in another part of the body, it's local. And so the experiencer is having a localized experience of pleasure, and it's through an experience that's also very particular in the, in the experience. But if you have divine pleasure, if you can get to that place of divine pleasure, it's an experience throughout the entire body into something that's infinite. That's the highest level of pleasure. Right. So I'm, I'm going back to the story where the, the princess is walking down the street, this guy yeah. sees her, and now through her comes to him this, this divine energy. Correct. When he imposes the narrative on her. Correct. Then that's where the... That's the mess up. Right. That's right. the screw up. That's the mess up. The experience itself of it you know the the there's a the Rabunim Apishcha, one of the very f famous Hasidic rabbis, very wise person. He he said he said something like this. Sometimes didn't say sometimes. He says a horse is just a horse. Now use that as a metaphor, which is whatever you see is just seeing it. Right? That's not the problem. The, 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 the problem is never what you see; it's how you see it. The problem is never the thing in itself; it's how you're experiencing it. Hundred percent. So you you take the the most raw thing that you're experiencing. You just overlaid a negative narrative on it. Therefore, you're struggling and you have to get untangle yourself. But stop. It's just a horse. So how does a concept like Sneas drive with this concept? Well, you understand what I'm asking? Right? Yeah, I do. But I would say like this. First of all, there's a few elements of here that there is... There's, there's in the in the in the conversation of Tznias, there are two people. There's two people there, right? So there's 
the object and the subject. Okay, the person mm-hmm. that's seeing and what's being seen. So the first, for, the, for the person that's being that's seeing, um, the question is on what level are you, what level are you at um, that you can actually see things in its purity in a way without any narrative. Could you see could you see beauty without a story? Because most people when they see beauty, the immediate response to beauty or something that's attractive is how could I own it? How could I get it? How could I be with it? Or how could I ride the horse? That, that that's like right. that that's the that's the immediate reaction. So Rabbi Kiva has a teaching like this. Rabbi Kiva says that it's a it's a Gemara it's from the Talmud. Rabbi Kiva says that if you if you bump into, let's say it's talking about a guy, so if, if you like turn a corner, Karen Zavis, like at a corner, mm. and you see a beautiful woman, you should say, Abracha, Shekacha Bailame, that Hashem created beautiful, like Hashem created this in this world. What Rabbi Kiva is saying is sometimes when you bump into something, the, the corner is a metaphor. Mm. He's saying when you bump into something before it triggers anything else, you can actually appreciate things, shakaha, that this is beautiful in this world. The problem is the moment afterwards. Now, could you live that all times? That's the state of, of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the paradise, right? They were, they were not ashamed of each other. That's what it means. They were living in that state of, of not, um, no desire to own, just to experience. If you look actually the way the Torah describes- So not localizing God. Yeah, not localizing even your experience, right? Right. Oh, that is beautiful. No, that's not. That's that's part of the beauty of everything, right? The moment you start, and the moment you see um, that it's that it's toivla michael, like it's it's good for food. This is what the story is. Like then the Garden of Eden, they see, oh, it's good for food. It's not nechman le'naim. It's not beautiful to, to behold, but it's good for food. That's already. A grabbiness. That's already a narrative. I want that. What, what do you need it for? That's that's everything's beautiful. Hashem created be- God created a beautiful world, and there's beautiful things. I thank God, and you have to make a blessing for all the beauty in the world. Um, just stop trying to own everything. Try, stop this. You know, take control. You're, you're saying about sneers is a subject. Oh, also, so, okay. So, so sneers. That's the one level. So the question is, could we control that if you're in that state? Then, in terms of the, the 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 person projecting, whether it's a man or a woman, there's a fascinating teaching. So the Gemara says the Chazal tells like this that it was Miriam is considered one of the most beautiful women that 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 ever lived. And the Gemara says something very interesting. The Gemara says that if someone sees Miriam, she he, he sees Miriam, this beautiful woman, is he brings a gift to his wife. Now it doesn't say he brings a gift to Miriam. He brings a if a male sees Miriam, he brings a gift to his wife. So the Ishbitza says like this: what this means is a person that's a real tsunua. I'm talking about you, you let's say me and you. If a person's real tsunua, a person that's a real tsunua, a person that's really modest, tsunua means hatsnalech, as a person is walking with themselves. I'm not here to project something on myself so to entice you into anything. I like to dress beautifully, or I like to be, I like to have a nice house, or whatever, whatever the thing that I need. It's nothing, it's, it has nothing to do with you, whether I want to impress you or I care about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about me. When a person is a real tsunua, a person lives this way, 
when you see this person, the instinct of seeing this person will not be to try to own them because they're not, they don't want to be owned. That's not what they're, they're, they're not projecting beauty to be owned. They're projecting beauty for beauty in their own sake. So when you appreciate beauty for their own sake, what are you going to do? If you're a man, you're going to bring a gift to your wife. Your father? Say that again. So. But, I understand uh, the concept of seeing that, Okay, that so it's not, okay. So you're, you're, you're living for yourself, okay? You means that you're direct, you're directed, you, let's say you're dressing with a beautiful, you're dressing beautifully. Let's say you're a man, you're dressing beautifully. Yeah. Okay, fine. Why are you doing it? Because you like beautiful clothes. You like, you like, if it makes you feel better about yourself, whatever reason, okay. You're dressing with beautiful clothes. You're walking down the street. If you have, if you're living with that state of consciousness of tsnua, it's guaranteed that the energy that you're kicking off is not energy that says, please take me. Please own me. Please buy me something. It's energy that says, I'm good without you. I'm fine. And that's going to be received that way? Every Correct. Time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to believe me. Just I want right. you, Don't believe me anything no, 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 I'm no. saying. Try to think about it. Like if you yeah, really- Yeah, there's no one who's really operating at that level. Correct. Correct. But if you sometimes, I'll tell you, let's say you see a child. Let's say a child is like, you know, your little, I don't know if a little girl, little mm -hmm. three-year-old girl, and she's running around with a dress- and she's like, she just loves it. She's like not trying to attract attention to her. She's just, when you look at her, you're not, no one, Arl, something's off with, you know, really bad with you, with that person, but a, a healthy person looks at it, doesn't say, oh, she's a beautiful girl. Like, you know, it's like, she's a beautiful right. girl. Wow, that's, that's beautiful. You know, beautiful things in the world. She's so cute. Right. Right. That will trigger beauty in your mind. The, the appreciation of beauty. If you're a healthy person with a healthy relationship with your wife, and you think hopefully that your wife is beautiful, you're going to bring her a gift. It's going to trigger a relationship. You understand? understand? It's not going to trigger owning that person. That's that's Sneas. Sneas is really to live with a certain sense of being I am for myself. I live for myself. I don't live to impress other people. Now, if it happens to be that I like a very big car, so what? That's it. That's what I happen to like another car. But if I'm doing it just to impress the neighbors, then that's not Sneas. Oh, okay. So you're... Right. right. This changes Sneas. Yeah. And the way Sneas that... Sneas means... The way that the, the, the phrase of Sneas, the phrase that come the whole word of Sneas comes from from the from the book of Michaz is Hatznalechas in Hashem Alakacha. Hatznalechas means walk inwardly with God. So how so how does an idea like that get drilled down into these laws? Like how how did that process how did it become distilled into again? Was something lost in the process? It was lost in the way it was taught maybe like it became sneas means like the length of a skirt right and that, that's the definition of sneas but sneas is not the length of the skirt sneas means a person is not trying to objectify objectify their body they're not living outwardly to show others how you know if they're beautiful or not they're living because they want to just be within themselves and they feel comfortable with that with that with that reality so um, how did but how was that jump made that that idea became these these specific laws that were very wise and intelligent people which developed these right it was a way it was a way to say like you know if if we're going to create this first of all sneeze I, I, let, let, let's really back this up there was never like a laws that said exactly how long a skirt should be or, or there was no like halachic rulings of this thing like strict halachic rulings over time like there's nothing in the gemara that says how long a warrior like it's not it's not it's not really that conversation a lot of the laws of Sneez evolved from the society that people lived in. Like what was considered 
a person that's evocative, someone that's trying to ev evoke a certain reaction, how they're dressing, versus the person that's just living their life. And I think it depends. It was culturally conditioned a lot. Um, people dress generally more modest in, 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 in you know, 100 years ago. That's clear. But the idea of Tzniyas was really like, it was it was the idea of, of of royalty that a woman for particular for a woman with the idea of like a woman should dress in royalty when you see a, someone that's dressed in royalty versus provocative it you have a different type of interaction with that royalty right. demands respect it demands it, it it demands a certain type of reverence it's 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 speaking about a different thing versus a person that's being you know Wearing clothes for a different reason, and by the way, the laws of sneeze applies to men as well. It's not. It's not just. It's not a woman thing. It's a manual thing as well. You think this concept, meaning with yeah. men, it may apply more to the car we drive than the uh... correct, correct for sneeze, exactly <laughs> correct car we drive, the house we have, exactly for more things like works. Yeah, but that, that's it's the same idea. Like, the title, <laughs> right? But but think about it. Like like, how am I really hot? I'm really I'm walking along with God. That's what I want. Is my life really like private? Like I. I really don't care what other people think about me and, and, and look at me and how they look at me. I'm like, I just want to live my life. Right. I, I like this explanation, explanation because at this one, we all have work to do, so it's difficult to point the finger. Yeah. Well, first of all, we should never point fingers, but the, you know that. You know that. I'm right. sure you know that. Um, the only finger you can point is on yourself. Right. What I'm saying is, is that when we, when it's, Expressed in very clear right. lengths of something, right? Then you can understand it for yourself. Then that can okay. This is this isn't correct. But when it's something more subtle and nuanced, that I'm sure all of us have yeah. varying levels of correct. This. Correct. Everyone has various levels of being sneers and not being sneers. Correct. Right. It's yeah. a it's a mindset. It's a way of being. It's a way right. of being in this world. Yeah. Right. And it can shift and it can expand. It's yeah. A, and we change. Right. And sure, you grow and you're different types, ages, different times in your life. Right. But maturity comes, like, I think as you grow older, you know, you, you see like older people that don't stop caring. So that's, what? you know, older people, as they get older, they stop caring. You know, they start <laughs> saying things they shouldn't be saying. This, that's a level of like, okay, I'm very comfortable with myself. I don't have to like prove myself to anybody. I don't really care right, anymore. Right, it's a level of sneers. It's a level of sneers. Ironically. Ironically, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, by the way, you, I don't know how to get into this, but you can see even like older people, the way, even the way they dress, like even if it's not like the same way they would, like an older person that dresses in a particular way, even though for a younger person it may not be sneeze, but for an older person it is. There's, there's, it's not so, you, right, know, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, a different yeah. way, there's a certain way of being in this world. How you? What are you projecting? You know, are you projecting like attraction? Is that what you want? Are you creating like attention to self? That's what that's what you're at? Or is it just like being myself? And it's a, you know, there's, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Gemara that speaks about like when you, it's like with men, with men, like if you cover your bris, like you cover yourself when you're going to the mikvah on the way back or the way forward. Like in one way, it's like not considered sneeze, but in the way back it is because it, like it's better not to cover it. It's like you're covering your bris. You shouldn't do that, which, which the Shalak other says, it really, it's like, it's, it's, it depends on the setting. Like if you're, if there's a bunch of people doing something and all of a sudden you're covering yourself, that in itself is not sneeze, right? If everyone's sitting in, in, let's say swimming, I don't know, you're a bunch of friends, you're right. swimming, and you're sitting with like, you know, a bathing suit, and you're swimming. And this guy decides that he has to like, you know, put on pants when he swims. That in, that in itself is a way to, to call attention. Yeah, call attention to yourself. You're inside. So it's, lot, it's, it's, it's very subtle. Like, why are you wearing pants? Like, what, you, it's not good enough to wear a bathing suit? Oh, because you're, okay, because you think you're, you understand? So it's like, it's, right. it's very, uh, it's much more subtle. Right, it's a practice. It's yeah. a, uh... it's a way of being, yeah. Understood.
Understood. So how did we get here? We got here from... No, I have no idea. This is... Oh, about being fully in the in the emotions and being fully... Oh, right. Like yeah. that. Right. So yeah. you know, to take this. Yeah. You're saying with every one of these... Any any experience that we're having. That's can be expanded fully into... Into something that's divine. Something that's transcendent. Like any experience. Whatever you're doing. I don't know. Whatever you do in this world can be something that's that's that ends in the ex, in the in the finite expression of the experience or expands into the infinite expanse of the experience and that's where you're like touching something that's divine something that's higher and you're talking even extreme negative feelings like anger or maybe anger is more of a layered over feeling exactly but right. but, but there, there, in anger itself let's say for anger example is a story maybe exactly but this but but like say for talks about uh, this ancient book of, of Kabbalah or of Judaism um, speaks that every month has like a particular energy. Mm-hmm. So like it says like the month of Tavis, the, the, the energy of the month, the month of Tavis is Reuges, is anger. Like as, it's as if it's a good thing. Like this is a good thing. Oh. And the answer is anger is not a negative thing. The narrative of anger is negative. Let's say you're angry. Let's say you got a person gets angry, right? So you get angry, let's say someone insulted you. So you get angry and you're like worked up. Now there's two things that are happening. There's the sensation of anger and there's the narrative of anger. The narrative of anger, this guy told me this. Okay, that's that's terrible. That's you're like an idol worshiper. Fine. But the sensation of anger is like, ah, I'm boiling. I'm like, my heart's palpitating. That's a good thing. Do something with it. Right. It's a tremendous amount of energy. It's a tremendous amount of energy. Do something. Who said that's negative? It's only negative because, that's, because of the narrative. But once you strip the narrative from the sensation... Do something. Well, you, you know what you can do now? You could probably like build a home. I don't know. You could, I don't know. You, you could do amazing stuff. Right. Or you can actually use it to, 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 to excel. I don't know. You can use this raw, powerful energy that your heart is palpitating, you're sweating, and you're really upset. Take that. Expand that, it. Expand it. And use it for something positive. Go to the cemetery. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what <laughs> you can do. God, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do something positive. Don't, don't try to deny the emotion. See, that would be like, that would be the, 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 the opinion of, of, of the Baljam would say, don't deny the experience that you're having. Just untangle them. Know what's the neg- what's the what's the klipa, what's the negative force that's surrounding this? That's the the narrative part of it. Okay, that's nonsense. Get rid of the narrative, but you're having this tremendous urge of anger. Use it. So everything, every single experience, Bardon, every single experience has elements that could be has Kedushan, has something powerful holy in it. And Kedusha definition of Kedusha holy is something that's furthering self, furthering others, furthering the world. That's what Kedusha is. Life affirming. Life affirming. Life, life affirming a life evolving, like moving things forward. That's what holiness is. Do you know the work of uh, David Hawkins? Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, he measures the different yeah, things. Yeah, measures things, right. Life affirming, and right. I forgot what he calls the other ones. But the Balshamdav actually says this. This is what he says. He says that, that the definition of, of holy is something that furthers things. The definition of unholy is things that end things. So if I'm talking to you, this is the Balsham would say this, if I'm talking to you now for an hour and I feel energized after the experience, that was holy. If I, de- I feel depleted after the experience, then it ended something. Then it's clipper, it's negative. How do you know when you're in a good relationship with your spouse? When you're in a relationship with anybody, but when you're intimate with them, you feel more energy, not the opposite. Not depleted. Not depleted. Depletion is always an expression of of of, of your own ego. The, the 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 need for something. You felt you felt this urge. You depleted, and you're done. You're finished. You're 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 done with it. 
positive, positivity, holiness is something that generates more because that's God. What is God? Infinite. Creator, creator. Let's say right. infinite creative force. If, if, if we have to give right. any type of uh, definition, of course, there's no definition, but if you have to give a definition, you look at creation, so the creator is the creator of creation, which means the generator, the energy, the engine that's moving the world and is forward, forward is, the, is the creator's energy. Right, so everything that moves that forward is divine. Okay, so that would be, right, so meaning if, if the energy that I just expended was in a holy way, I've moved it forward. Then you will feel more. more. Then you'll feel more now, energy. If I was going the other way, if you're if you if if you're hooked into the energy source, which the what Chassid is called the Shefa or the flow, if you wish, if you are hooked into the source, then the more you give, the more actually starts the flowing through you. Exactly. Right. So when you finish a conversation, or you finish being intimate, or you finish speaking to your child, or you finish something, you're like, whoa! I'm like, I'm, I have so much energy now. I feel so alive and I want to connect. I want to do something. I want to create something. So if I have a work day that's um, brutal and I kind of feel beaten down at the end, your message for that is, like I get very energized from these right. conversations. And it, right, but if you don't feel energy from something, it's very hard to measure throughout the day. But I would say like, you know, brutal throughout the day. Was everything that I experienced throughout the day, everything was brutal? Or like the last 10 minutes or the last, like how, how, was, how would you measure it? But if you come out of work every single day depleted, you're probably doing the wrong thing in this world. Right. That's it. You should come out energized. Now, it doesn't mean every single day you're going to have the highest level of energy, but you're going to have to come out, you have to, if it's, if it's Kedusha, if it's holy, which means if it's something that resonates deeply with your soul, that's, that's fulfilling for yourself, you have to come out with that experience of, of energized, more connected. So you connect the same, maybe the money well spent. Everything. Everything. But so, everything, every time you make you, if you want to know if you want, this is from the Badichever, but it's a very, very deep teaching. It says, if you want to know if you, do, if you want to do the right thing or the wrong thing, like what, what do you, like, I don't know, should I give money to this, let's say charity, should I give this guy a charity or not? How are you going to feel after? Yeah. That's the measure. That's the measure. So when it comes to, let's say, having intimacy with one's wife. Yeah. Right. When a man completes his experience, there's usually a depletion of, of energy. Okay. But there's, but there's a depletion of, so there's there's a pasuk in, in Tehillim that says that my father and mother like left me and Hashem gathered me. It's in chapter 27. And Rashi writes there that this one turns to this side of the bed, this one turns to that side of the bed. And then Hashem gathers me. Which means if after intimacy, I don't want to talk about this because I don't like doing this on public, but let's very quickly. If after intimacy a person experiences more love for their spouse. I'm not talking about physical. Physical, of course, because it's physically you gave something out. Right. Just talking about, you don't just turn around to the other side of the bed and go to sleep. But afterwards, you feel like you, you want to talk to them, you want to be with them, you feel more yichud, unified with them, then it's Kedusha. But if afterwards you just want to turn around and go to sleep, that shows that you, it, was a, it was just a selfish act. It was not, it was not a real intimacy. It was not yichud. It was not Kedusha. Interesting. That's, that's the barometer. I'm not talking about f- the physicality, of course. Sometimes you can run a marathon. You feel very good. Right, you feel very tired. Yeah, you feel, you feel tired, but you feel right. great. You feel right. a lot of energy, right. but you can't, can't stand up. I'm talking about like energy. I understand. Yeah, I understand. If you, you, you go through an experience, you feel like, oh, I feel like, okay, now I really, yeah, physically I'm tired. I got it. But, but do I just turn to the other side of the bed? Okay, so when I say brutal work day, there's two kinds. Okay. Right. Right. There's ones that's like a brutal workout. Right, and then you feel good. Right, right, that's great. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm saying you feel you're feeling good. It's, it was hard. It was like a, you run you run a marathon, but you feel good about. It. 
And then sometimes you feel like written down. It's different. Right. And you're calling this Kedusha, this Klippa. Yeah. Right. I'm not calling it, by the way. Right. The Baal Shem Tov actually says these words. It's a radical understanding of this. It's a very different understanding than most people understand Kedusha and Klippa. Right? You'll say Kedusha is holy, something that's transcendent. Shem says, no, Kedusha means furthering, bettering. Klippa means separation. That's Moving it. Moving these forward. Yeah. Moving them means forward. So going back to an emotion, right? So there's an emotion that's coming at me that I'm blocking or resisting in some way, then that blocking of it is klipa. Correct. So take it fully through. Take it fully through. Feel it. Experience it. Take no the matter ro- what it is. No matter what it is. Right. Strip it from the narrative of it. Feel the rawness of it. Expand, expand, expand. Correct. Doesn't matter what it is. Correct. Now the Alter Rebbe, by the way, just to get back to the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe is, um, this is called Allah Samindas, the elevation of, of, of feelings. The Alter Rebbe says it's not, it's not for every person. He says it's only for the tzaddik. But it's very interesting that um, that he says, How could you actually elevate this, this, this feeling when you're actually under the feeling? Which means, oh, 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 let, me, let me say it like this. There are, what the Al-Tarab is really worried about, about when he did, when, with these emotions is that Let's say, let's say you're a person that deals with anger, okay? Let's say you're, you're just you're a guy. You, get, you always get angry. This is like my thing. I'm always angry. Okay. One day you're angry and you said, you know what? I'm going to strip it from the narrative. I'm going to beat it with the sensation. I'm going to feel the raw energy. Who are you fooling? Like that, that right, can, this horse has been riding me for years. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's so above you. This, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to, what's going to be is you're going to be more angry and more angry and more, you know, <laughs> it's going to, it's going to feed the, it's going to feed the beast. That's what Alderman says. You have to know which emotion and when. Like sometimes there's an emotion that comes to you that is not familiar. Like you're generally not, you're not an angry guy. I don't get, I don't get, you're not, a, you're not an angry person. But one day you're like, that's an emotion that I, I can control. I can actually do something with this. I'll tell wouldn't have an issue with that. That's not the issue. The issue is when, when, when it's an uncontrolled emotion, which you're always feeling. So that's why you have to also, when I, the blanket statement is yes, of course you can do this. But you should also know yourself. Like know if this is like really, Applicable to you, or you're like still uh, right. If you're encountering it on a corner, or if you've been walking, exactly perfect analogy. If you're encountering a corner, then do with it. If you can't, then then you probably you're probably just going to mess yourself up. But uh, any other feeling that's coming to you, and you know, yeah, feel it, feel it deeply. And um, so, what's the solution for for the the other way? You know, there was I I heard this. I didn't watch the recording, but apparently Tony Robbins was doing a live event when 9/11 happened. Yeah. Oh, during the event During during. when it happened, I think he was in Australia or somewhere where okay. the time zone was very different. So at 9 a.m. here was in the middle of the night there, apparently. He had ended the, that day's seminars, and they go long. So um, I'm not the biggest fan of his, but I went once with a few Yeah, I'm not really familiar anyway. We yeah, yeah, but I know who he is. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, he, so he, brought, he brought everyone back in, obviously, because right. this just happened. So what did they, not everyone's going to go to sleep now. Right. There's a lot of energy. So he brought everyone back in. And he asked people what they're feeling. And people gave different emotions. And again, I heard this secondhand, so yeah. maybe, but the point is still valid. Yeah. And he asked people their emotions. And one person was disgusted. One person was um, afraid. One person was whatever, you know, disgusted, right. um, excited, who, you know, ready to take on the world, whatever emotions they were going through. And then he asked them, when was the last time you felt that? And, for the, and he did this with each one. And his point that he was making that, most of you are feeling feelings that you're attributing to the event. Right. But this is your go-to feeling. Yeah, exactly. 25 times a day. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So what does one do with that? I mean, what's the solution for, what's the solution for those ones that trip us up 
a lot. Certain emotions that you you constantly repeat them, and you're constantly tripping up on the exact same the same exact. Emotions. Yeah. So let's say anger is probably one that I struggle with more uh-huh. than say, um, I don't know. Let's say something makes me feel disgusted. Okay, it's fine. not so common. That's okay. a new one. I just right. It's a new. It's a new emotion. I, I got see it. This yeah. When I woke up in the morning, I'm fairly certain I'm encountering anger at some uh-huh. point. <laughs> um. So this this is this is a lot of work because what you really have to do is you have to create new neuron connections in your brain. Like there's a certain go-to narrative that anything that is remotely connected to anger will trigger that story, and then that's and then it downloads from your subconscious, and you have no control. Um, so we have to start creating new neuron, new ways, new pathways of thinking about experiences. What I would do, um, I would say, is try to figure out what some of the triggers are, right? And start slowly creating instantaneous responses to those new triggers. Now, it's not going to work for a longer period of time. Like, I'm not saying like, if it triggers, um, you're never going to become, you're not going to become angry from this event. No, but the first reaction when this thing happens, what's the, this triggers, your first reaction is you scream. Okay, now your first reaction is you're going to make a bracha and drink a cup of water. Then you're going to scream. Got it. You got it. Once you start training, you have to really like hardwire the, the subconscious, hijack the system, hijack the system. Correct. So, but you can't ever tell the system, "I'm never going to do this again." That never works, right? You're gonna, your ego is gonna like fight for that anger, like it's like because that's that's the story that it knows. It's not letting go. So you tell this, you tell the the anger, I, "You'll be there. I'm just gonna shelve you for thirty seconds, ten seconds." It's like a compartmentalization of emotions. It's like a very interesting way of thinking about emotions is that if we can compartmentalize them, like um, to give it its space, not to say I'm not going to become angry because that's, you need to, your ego is going to fight too strong. Say I will become angry, but in 30 seconds, in 10 seconds. And then the 10 seconds becomes 12 seconds and 15 seconds. And what you're doing is you're basically training yourself to have another instinctive reaction by doing those, those responses. So, Slowly, that slowly that ends up that that ends up working. But the the main th- I would say the, the 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 error of people thinking about any type of character trait that they're trying to work on is that we're going to beat it down. I'm going to beat down that thing, right? And that never works. You know, the Kotzkerber once said that uh, that if you ever try to beat down an emotion, you get two negative emotions. One is the emotion that doesn't leave because it never goes away, and now the arrogance that think you can beat it down. So that never works. So so don't try to. Don't don't try to beat it. Don't try to say, "Oh, I'm, I'm for now, and I'm never going to become angry." This is not my. No. Don't wrestle with the bear. Don't wrestle with the bear. No, no. Compartmentalize it. Say, like, okay, I understand. Look, I need to be angry because that guy really did something, and I'm a really angry person. That doesn't make any sense. Go, fine, good. You you have that place. Um, this is also a way to do this, by the way, like with with davening. Let's say you're trying to concentrate in davening, and other thoughts come into your head, mm-hmm. which are very important. Like, I need to think about it. Never push it aside. Like okay, I'm just I'm gonna resist that thought because the more you resist, the more it persists. It doesn't work. What you tell that thought is, yeah, that's an excellent thought, by the way. Yes, I actually have to meet this guy tomorrow. This is great. I'm gonna think about this in 30 seconds. I'm gonna put it on the shelf. In 30 seconds, we we'll get back to you. Let me get back to Dominic. So the moment you're able to compartmentalize your consciousness and your feelings, you're able to deal with them in a better way. This all goes back to the beginning of the conversation, which is the more you can untangle yourself, the more you can actually observe self from that place of observing the story that's happening, the more easier it is for you to actually navigate that and shelve those emotions. So I think 
uh, again, back to your question, so we shouldn't get too long-winded, is that like try to create new responses without actually saying, I'm not going to have all that response. I will have that response. I will be angry. If you you don't do what I want you to do in the office, I'm going to get angry at you. But I'm not going to scream at you right away. I'm going to scream at you after I make a blessing and a bracha Uh on a cup of water. So you're saying ones that are not familiar to a person, expand. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. You walk around the corner, this bumped into you. Correct. Yeah. Expand it. Take it. Expand it. This is God, Make it this is a divine. Correct. This is divine. You're feeling this anger. You're feeling this raw emotion. Amazing. Do something. The like ones it. that are coming to you 25 times a day, this is instinct. Start Correct. This is like things already, uh, things that are already part of your subconscious. So it's it's much more difficult. And you and like Dalton says, you're Yeah, how could you lift it if you're under it? It's not gonna work. You're just gonna be under it and under it, under it, under it. Let's pivot for a few minutes. I know you um you wrote a few books on breathing and meditation yeah. and things like that. So Meditation has an interesting rap in the um, Jewish community. Yeah. How would you distinguish between Jewish meditation, non-Jewish meditation, and the role, um, so often the, the language of Avayda Zara gets thrown right. in this conversation? What, right. what are we talking about? What okay, this so, so I, I, this is a very good question. I, I, I think the first reason why there's a lot of misconceptions about this is because of the word meditation. So since the word meditation is not a Jewish word, um, and uh, it's an English word. It comes actually from a Greek word, which means centering. Um, so therefore, it's like, what's that word? We never, we never heard about it. We know what pra- davening is. It's translated as prayer. But what's that word, meditation? So I think the immediate re- reaction to a person that hears the word meditation is like, what's that word? So if you noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of my books, I don't use the word meditation. I don't want to use the word anymore because I think it's like it's it's a word that associates people. Overused and- it's overused and it's also so it it people it triggers a certain type of reaction when they see that word. So for years I had like a chabur of of very serious like Rosh Hashivas and Magachurim and Bar Park, very chassidish, you know, with white sock, very chassidish Eden, chassidic Jews, and we learned like a very deep levels of Yehudim and different things from the Arif, from other spiritual practices, and I told them. We're never going to use the word meditation there because otherwise your wife's never going to let you come here. So we're not going to use that word. We're just going to use Avodah Hashem. We're doing Avodah Hashem. We're doing Hashem service. So that, I think that's 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 the reason because there's no word for it. But it doesn't mean that it's not it's not there. If you use words, he's spineless or dvekus. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. He's spineless. He's spineless. Dvekus. All these words. Correct. These are all words that are familiar. We know what they are. We know more or less they are. And all the all the the written. Texts that speak about these type of practices talk, don't use these. They're, they're speaking in Hebrew, so they don't use that word meditation. So it's a, it's a new it's a new word. Um, and all great, all great tzaddikim throughout history, all great spiritual masters, all great mukabalim rebbes, all had a spiritual practice. Whatever the practice was, it, it it could be breathing, it could be chanting, it could be davening, it could be learning. Whatever the practice was, there was a certain spiritual practice that they did that was allowed them to have. You know, to experience uh, expansive consciousness and to have. Uh, I read somewhere recently when prophets would go to yeah. prophesize, whatever yeah. that meant. Yeah, they would go into nature with drums or music. Correct, or sure, like that. Yeah. sure, of course, yeah. yeah so that yeah. was a, that's a, a spiritual practice. That's that these are spir- these are spiritual practices. Um, right. If they told their mother they're going to do meditation at that point. Correct, but then, that, but that <laughs> was prophecy. That was banana vim. Everyone was prophets, and that was like a like we spoke in the beginning. A prophetic time. That was a prophetic time. That there was no schools for Talmud. You didn't learn Gemara when you went to yeshiva. What do you learn? You learn prophecy. That's what that's that's what everyone was learning. The Gemara says that there was Kaflaim Kiyat Mitzrayim. There was like over a million, over a million two prophets during this four hundred year time period in the first base of English time. Over period. what? Over the four hundred year time period of the first base of English, there was over a million prophets. Oh wow! 
And the the Medrash and Shira Shirin says that that's that was only men, and then it was also women. So you're talking about two and a half million prophets. There were no, there were no two and a half million people on the planet at that time. You understand? So you're talking about a very short period of time. Everyone was a prophet, which means prophecy was uh, was was was. They were schooled in prophecy. They were called the children of prophets. There was a. So I think I think the word is the real problem. The, that that actual word, the meditation word. Yeah, the word meditation. So that's why I don't like using it either because it's like it, it, you it's stopped a, using it. You didn't use it in any of your books. Generally not. It stopped. Okay. I don't. I really like using it because of that. Because it's like it 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 it, it throws people. Off. It throws people off. And right away you're okay. It sounds like something Eastern or something not Jewish and something. So I'll, I'll use regular words that that what the sages use, what the rabbis use, what the tzaddikim use. Um, to use their words, if it's his bainanos or his badadus or dvekas or yechudim, what sirufim, whatever the word was used, I'll, I'll use that word. Um, also, people should become more f- familiar. You're asking, what is the general difference? Um, yeah. That's um, is there something and something inherently wrong according to some? To... It depends. It depends what you talk about meditation. A lot of a lot of uh, a mindfulness meditation. Yeah, a lot of the things are just you know just centering self and just being present. There's nothing. There's no. There's no. Uh, um, a lot of it's 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 complicated because I would say like this that there are certain certain. Hindu practices, or even certain type of religious Buddhist practice, Hirayana versus Mayana. There's different types of Buddhist that actually have certain chants and certain uh, sacred, you know, chanting of different names and things like that could have undertones of of Avodah So you have to be careful what sure. you're doing. But in general, the way most people think about meditation today in a modern world is more mindfulness. It's just about being present and being, you know, focused on your breath and focused on your mind, like. That's right, not, so but, someone uh, standing up in front of a room and saying, "Close your eyes, take a few." Deep yeah, there's nothing. That's, that's, that's just, just general. That's like you know, someone telling you, you know, you know, get up and stretch. It's 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 a, it's a mind stretch. It's just uh, right. There's nothing wrong. I mean, it's not, it's not even nothing wrong. It's nothing. It's not like not even a conversation to say anything wrong. It's not I think, it's not yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing. Whatever. It's like you're stretching your limbs. You know, to make yourself. You need you need to stretch your mind. You stretch your heart. You stretch your body. So I don't think it's anything. You're talking about deeper, like transcendental meditation. and there's other type of things that that could have undertones of of different types of uh, mantras and things like that could be uh, problematic. They could be repeating mantras from yeah, usually they're the Veda mantras they're 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 mantras that actually are names of of idols and pagan things. so that that could be that you should stay away from if you don't know what you're doing. Right, understood. But in general, in meditation. No, today, today, what we call meditation today in the West is yeah. not real meditation. It's just that's you know that's that's uh, it's kinderspiel. It's, it's like you know it's child play. It's like whatever. It's it's basic human things just to be a healthy human being, just to focus. That's it. Okay, and what what is this concept of avidizara? People throw it around. <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah, that's that's no, that's the that's the million dollar question. Um, avidizara means. Any time you separate something from the everything, when you're when you subscribe powers to something that's outside the everything, that's other desire. So the guy in the story who saw the woman, yeah, and ascribed certain beauty to her as opposed to could technically be a trace of other desire. Correct. When you, if it, obviously it's very subtle. That's that's a very subtle form of a desire. But other desire means. This is this ascribing to, to, to any particular thing, versus the everything. When I say this is right, very similar to. If, is this different than what you were saying about a feeling? Once I expand the feeling, yeah, it's the same with that. That's that, exactly. The but f- we use such strong language around Avodah Zarah that someone um, shouldn't even. 
Because Avedo Zara, what, what you said like Gila Reyes, Shrikas yeah. Damim, right? Yeah, Gila Reyes, yeah, so Okay, so these are the three things now to die for. Yeah. Okay, so the first two we understand. Don't be intimate with these people. Right. Don't kill them. Correct. Don't Correct. kill anyone. Let's yeah, come to kill yeah. you. Okay, what is this Avedo Zara? What, what am I doing? Meaning if I'm not expanding a feeling and that's Avedo Zara. No, okay, you're talking about a very subtle thing. I'm, I'm, we're talking about really subscribing powers. So actually praying. So if there's a Hindu religion that's if you're praying to, to the sun or to the moon or that or to any power in the universe. By the way, you could be an idol worshiper of money. Money for sure. Exactly. If that could be most people probably correct. Are. But yeah, yes and no. I don't know. Okay, that's a, that's a good conversation. <laughs> but I I the moment you subscribe something that it has power in and itself, you're cutting yourself off from the source of I life. I totally did until I found out about inflation. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not so powerful after. Exactly. Okay, fine. So maybe that's Hashem's way of showing that there's no way to desire. It's 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 a, it's a way. The reason why the Torah says that you that you that like it's the, it's a cardinal sin. It's like the Torah is saying is on a, on a on a deeper level. The Torah is saying is either you're alive with everything or you're dead. When you subscribe something, when you separate something from the everything, you're dead. That's the definition of death. It's just giving it's giving an interpretation of what you're experiencing, because either you're 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 one with the, the the unified force of everything that's giving life to everything. The moment I subscribe to this particular thing, I just separated this from everything. That's death. So you're experiencing death in that spiritual way of living by connecting to that thing. So the Torah is well, you just terminated the energy. Yeah, right. The exactly right. the same narrative. You just terminated the energy. You just cut it off from the source. So you cut off. You just cut off. You just cut yourself off from the source. So, uh, so is when people are at earlier today. Yeah. I interviewed a guy who, um, he does he's breathwork certified yeah. training and you know different things. He's from Sephardic guy, and had a very interesting life journey. And he says sometimes when he's leading a breathwork, people will ask him that is it Savita Zara, right? Like throw that word. Right. I mean, what is there any relationship between the two things? Would it be as crazy as someone saying is a Shri Stamim? I mean, is yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that that doesn't make any sense. Someone's doing breath work. Is I, I don't I don't know how that could be able. To, is he chanting? What is he doing? He's taking them through a breath. He's just breathing with them. Yeah. No, well, breathing. What do you mean? Everyone breathes. I mean, like well, I know, taking them through a specific breath. I, of course, it depends what you're doing by breath. No, you're saying like inhale so, the I'm oxygen saying... of the universe and like the power. I mean, it depends how you like contact. If you're just breathing with someone, saying let's inhale and exhale very slowly, just to gain oxygen and be focused. It's like it's like it's like anything. It's like someone saying, "Here's a cup of soup and some white zara." I don't. There's no. There's no. There's but no. Let's, so let's say you know where does it? Say? It doesn't say in Gemara that um, should I destroy the world just because of a few fools? Yes, That's correct. Right? Should I destroy the sun and the moon? Yeah, yeah. Well, so everyone, um, I mean, there's probably a worshiper of everything that has a little bit of anything. Someone's worshiping it. Correct. That. That's true. Right? So. So you're asking why these specific things? Like, why am I getting excited? Because some person decided an elephant is their god. Why do I have to feel different about elephants or feel different about... You don't have to feel different about elephants. The question is... is no, how meaning you... even if they have the... I got it. No, that's not the problem. The problem is not... Is not the, the, the problem is not them. The problem is you. The problem is how you're relating to it. In other words, if you're, re if you're relating to the elephant as a sacred animal, as something that's unique and sacred, an embodiment of some type of divine energy or divine quality... Then you're the idol worshiper. If you're not, what does what does that right? Do? Yeah. Meaning, if I'm walking into a room and there happens to be a, it depends what it depends. It, it, it meaning, what's the difference if they're chanting to anyone? For you, yeah. So mean? I go into a meditation and this person happens to start chanting to the Virgin Mary. I mean, what does it have to do with me? 
Okay, that's if I'm not buying into. Okay, so that that's another question. That's 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 a third. That's another question, right? The question is, the question is if energetically you're affected by other people's energy. That's what you're really asking, right? Okay, let's what, see. right because you're saying I'm not. I'm, I don't really subscribe to this person's energy. I don't really believe in anything that they believe in. But could a person be affected by another person's energy? Okay, let's see. Okay, if that's the question, that's that that's a, that's a real question. I think first of all, it depends how sensitive you are. I think sensitive people do pick up other people's energy. You can sometimes walk into a room and a person's angry. You don't even know it, but you feel anger in the room. Some people do that. Some people not. We're susceptible to energy. But I think every single person, there's a certain resonance, a certain type of... Uh, but it's not what I'm... Okay, fine. I mean, what you're describing is, and I understand that, you know, I've uh, um, somewhat, I don't know, proponent, but from yeah. my, in my own healing experience, yeah. I've been, um, I don't know how much you know of uh, of my... My story, but for many years I spoke about being sexually abused as a child and the journey oh, that I have okay. coming Sorry. that. And then um, more recently I've spoken about porn addiction and dealing with the, uh, I've been in recovery. Uh, today I don't consider myself part of 12 Steps. I'm part of recovery, but, but you were involved for in many years I was. And uh, up until I encountered ayahuasca and it kind of changed my relationship with a lot of things, Judaism included. I've sat with people in that setting who made me very uncomfortable. I felt the Christian influence in which that's right. very much in that world with many people. And I was like, right. this is not my guy. Right. Okay. But it doesn't mean it was a way desire just because he, that's what I'm saying. Right. Meaning, the question, the question is, do you, are you, I mean, I happen to be sensitive to it. Okay. Right. So I don't, I don't like it. I didn't enjoy it. I'm going into a space where I'm looking to heal. I don't want someone chanting right. to the Virgin Mary. Good. Right. Is that the same thing as, as a way desire? Does that have any connection? With no, people no, who use no, these no, languages? no, 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 you're not doing that. Way no, right. no, no, right. The, are also facilitators chanting and doing other things. But if the other person is sitting in a room doing a bazaar, let's say, let's say walking down the street and this guy, this guy worshiping about bazaar, you know, like, well, there's more walking down the street. I got it. You're, there's, you're together in the same room, the same presence. That's the question. So like, do you want to be surrounded okay, energetically? Okay, so not wanting to be. Right. But meaning, is that the... You're not either worshiping. No, that's not a question. Right. It's not a standard... No, 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 no. But this, of course not. This is, of course not. It's not even a question. It's not even a question. The question is if you're a lot of association, you know, like, you know, by, by a sponsor. Right, and personally, I chose not to right. be in that. And I, you know, Correct. I worked with a guy who's of Islamic background and I'm very comfortable right, with whatever. his, yeah, whatever. Right, his, right. his perspectives on right. those concepts when he right. talks about it. Okay, fine. So that's a comfort level, but that's not the same meaning around No, there's concept. no Avedazar desire if another person is doing desire in a room with you. Right, around breath work, around psychedelics, around a lot of these healing I think a lot of these things are all, they're they're all punched in, they're all like pushed into this one barrel spirituality yeah and somehow all these things are linked to the 60s and to the hippies and to, to Ramdas right. and to, to Hinduism it's like all but they're all separate different things and everyone has their own Torah Shlema everyone has their own you know whole understanding of itself right. so to, to hodgepodge and all put all these things together in one pot it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not honest right I was speaking to you know the artist Michal Machnik yeah so I spoke to him a few weeks ago and he's like Listen, I love the healing and stuff like that, but I grew up in the 60s, so this whole psychedelic movement right, is not, a, right, right. Right, it's not for me. And I said, I hear you. I wasn't around then, but my feeling is from reading about the times then yeah. and listening to some of the speakers then and people today who are engaging in it, and is that then it came from some, it seems to a lot of people were embracing it from some sort of spiritual right. search, some sort not of godly really. search and meaning. And today I think it's just, for the most part, just straight suffering. Yeah. People don't want to suffer anymore. Yeah, people don't want to suffer. I agree. People, sh people shouldn't suffer. Um, I don't know if this is the right path. It's it's, it's a very. It's, I'm not such a big proponent of these things. I'm not because I'm not. Yeah, sure. yeah. I'm I'm not really sure. I, I um, first of all, I never have done any of these type of things. But I also, 
the question is if if some people were telling me that you know maybe there was a shaman involved and maybe there was some type of chanting which that could be right that's what i want to know so but that that could but that's that's like positioning the the experience in a in a in a in a like almost a death practice like connecting to the dead and I, i don't know that that could be very spiritually energetically not healthy um, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly right. what the person was chanting or not. Um, They're saying, does that matter? Or does it matter what somebody's if, believing? If, well, if if the if the the facilitator is is, is projecting and presenting the the experience in a certain way, um, certain people that certainly, if you're not familiar with your own little journey inner journey, then you're going to be susceptible to that person's energy much more. That's not. So we have to be careful with that. Um, the other thing is, I, I don't want to get into this, but I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you because it just happened in the last few weeks, which is very strange, that a few people came over to me. Like, I would say for spiritual reasons, there's zero reason to do this. I think spiritually you can do this with other, you know, real inner, inner work, not like, you know. Right, sort, I would agree with right. that. Right. But in terms of like healing, so there's a lot to say I find about. it kind of lame from a spiritual perspective. Right. Meaning? No, it's nothing. It's, mean, it's meaningless. I, I think uh, spirituality has to become something within. You have to right. like work on it, spirituality. It's like the Kotzker once said that... Uh, People want to change overnight and they want to have a good night's sleep. So it's like, okay, that's the type of spirituality. It's like, it's, uh, you know. It's right. Like, I mean, for those okay. reasons. So yeah, I'm talking about a person that's really, really traumatized. Someone, someone has, who's really struggling. Yeah, someone really, really struggling. Stuck. Someone who's. So the, the interesting thing is, again, I don't have and a lot really, of people who are stuck don't know they're stuck. Right. It's true. It's true. You know, someone it's at true. work told me recently, I don't have any blind spots. It's true. I agree. I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. Um, there was this two things that. Let's just say like But you this. can be very critical of it. I'm not. Yeah. I, yeah, I, for me, it helped me. Yeah, so yeah. No, no, no. I'll, the reason why I'm critical, I'll tell you about this. Besides, I'll this our issue. Let's say it is an issue or not an issue. Okay, put that aside. Um, and the person's not going for spiritual reasons. The person's going because they're, they're really healing, stuck in healing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As I think most people that I know are going into that yeah, path, especially in this background. What are you looking for? Another uh, right, God, right, right. Barely right. able to believe the one that. Correct. Uh, I got it. I understand. <laughs> it's not. I understand. Yeah. Right. Um, it's say I'm done suffering. Did, I heard a guy got help here. Yeah. Listen, you can't you can't argue that. And this is what I want to say is like this: that there was just just because Ashkacha practices like yeah. happened by divine providence that I was a few couples came over to me in a lot, literally the last two weeks, and then I realized it was a pattern. I, I got it was frightening to me. The the a couple came over to me. This is like literally in the last ten days from last week Sunday. Uh, first couple comes in. They're this. They have an experience, and they went through. They there's a lot of trauma in their life. Hard, really hard lives. I'm not. That, right, I'm not diminishing yeah. God forbid anything that they experience. Really harsh. So they decided to go. To go, the, the husband, but the wife said like she was, she she doesn't remember trauma. She's like stunted a little bit emotionally, but she's Hasidic, so she maybe you know sometimes the emotions are not so open. They're fine. And she said she went through this this type of experience, and she realized that when four years old she was molested. Okay, that's very very that's that's big, and she was molested by by her father. And that's, that's that's the worst possible. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't have to explain it. Fine, um, that's one story. Then I heard, in the next, like in the next few days, a few women together with their husbands came and told me the exact same story at the same age. I'm thinking like, I, this is anecdotal. I don't have like real evidence for this. I don't have like hard evidence. But I'm thinking to myself, why four years old? Why by their father? What's like? What something is? And I realized, first of all. You need a lot of preparation to enter into any type of experience, any type of mind-altering experience. I don't care if it's like, you know, yeah. like like medical experience, um, or any therapy, any type of therapy. You have to really go through, like, ready to open yourself up, and you a lot of, you need a lot of integration. And I think what 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 happened to these people, in my opinion, you got it. 
and is that they weren't molested. I don't think they were molested because it was it was three three more people at the exact same age. I think what it and was all working with the same medicine, same people, same same people. Yeah, and yeah. I, I you know what I thought it was. Go ahead. And I get this is again it's a conjecture. I don't have a I have no yeah, hard evidence. Yeah. I think is that there's a certain age in a person when you're young, especially a girl and also a guy, where you start becoming familiar with your body. Um, that's why we have options. There's like there's a certain level where a boy becomes a boy, becomes kind of weird that they're a boy. They recognize that there's a difference between a boy and a girl, and the ones one has one anatomy, one has another anatomy. If you're sometimes raised in a very insular community, and you start becoming aware of your body, there's actually no one to talk to. So I'd imagine that when they became aware of their own sexuality, they start they wanted to approach their parents, but there was no language. The parents shut them down, and they interpret this experience somehow rejecting what, what they what they felt or how they felt about their body with their parent figure or someone that was that would potentially was able to help them to understand what their body's going through with a type of molestation. And it was like a mental molestation, right? It wasn't it wasn't a physical molestation. It was like a it was like a more psychological molestation. They interpreted something that was physical. The parents had no tools in their world even to access this information to help them. And no one's at fault. I mean whatever. Whoever's at fault right. is at fault. And they're going to walk around thinking how their father molested them, and that's that's and they have good relationship with their with their, their father, and it, it, everything's ruined. And I'm thinking, if they would go in correctly, and they would have like someone that's really helping them through this process, and properly integrating them, they were dealing with therapists and people that were licensed psychologists and people that really understood the, the involvement of the of the of the, they would be in a much healthier space without just taking these people, throwing them into experience, giving them experience. They don't have the tools to to. Un, to untangle their experience and to give to give context and to give understanding of their experience, and they're going to interpret the immediate reaction is that I was molested. So that that's why right. I'm like, it's hard for me to comment because I'm not, right, it's kind of hearing it secondhand. But um, I would say my my own yeah. experience kind of supports that, and I see it with a lot of others as well, where people who went from kind of walking around their life doing their own thing right. straight into Exactly, right. A medicine experience. Oftentimes, there is no language Correct. to process any Correct. of these things, and it makes it worse. It right. actually makes and damaging. Them. It could just be too much. Yeah. Sometimes it could be too much. Too much, or not not a way of understanding it. Um, it's like you know, God forbid, someone says, God forbid. But sometimes it. it's necessary. Listen, it's, like, it's like it's like right. the question of like chemotherapy. Let's say, you know, chemotherapy is killing all your, your cells of your body. Is that good for you or bad for you? Well, it depends. If you yeah, have right. cancer, it's very good for you. Right. If you're really, really sick, that's something going to help. That's going to be very helpful. Right. I see this. This is cracking someone open. So maybe if a person needs so chemotherapy, have, like, you yeah. know, the, you know, with a lot of seichel and a lot of this, but, but a regular, it's more, that's why, you, yes, every individual case has to be analyzed correctly. You have to see where the person's coming from, where they're going, what, the, what, how stuck they are. Like, it has to be done with seichel. It's like today it became so prevalent and like so cheap and it's, it's very scary to me. right that, very, and i understand that it, it, it grew very quickly very yeah very fast. quickly and, and unfortunately in the, film, in the film community very quickly and that people don't <coughs> for better or for worse the 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 situation of and this probably has to do with the holocaust and, and post-traumatic trauma for uh both from people that were raised in the 70s and 80s <coughs> they were they were raised by survivors they were raised by very highly traumatized people and there's generational trauma mm -hmm. and people went through these, 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 these hard times and they didn't speak about life, period. No one said like, 
I'm feeling down. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling hurt. Pure I'm, physical survival. Yeah, it was a survival. Like I feed you, and that's it. I'm good, you know. And 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 and, and not blaming parents because they didn't have the tools. They didn't. They, that was what was going. That on was then. going on. That was the, yeah. that was the world that was going on. It was a purely survival level. So a lot of these, a lot of kids that was raised in this generation. They don't have like basic skills of survival in terms of like emotional survival and mental survival, like to give understanding to their life, to to express feelings, to be open about their feelings, to be open about their their own uh, traumas or own experiences. They don't feel vulnerable. They don't feel expressive. They don't feel they can they can do that. They don't have even the the, the language to do that. I have a lot of faith that these things will will sort themselves out. Absolutely. In some way. Absolutely. Meaning, you have you have cultures which have. These are very powerful tools, probably some of the most Correct. powerful tools no, absolutely, absolutely. on the planet. And absolutely. we'll learn how to... Absolutely. I just want to, to say, I would say one thing, which is a funny statement. The Rabbi Hashab once said, the previous, the fifth Chabad Rabbi once said, that the Frum culture is 50 years behind the secular culture. And he said it like, you know, he said it, but it's, there's something very, very deep about that because I feel like also in the Frum, in the Frum culture today, um, a lot of the... Uh, conversation for people that need to need healing and a lot of healing is very much trauma based very much focused on trauma on on uh let's say focus on the negative and and focus on like healing the negative dealing with the negative speaking about the negative and i think that's not where that's not where uh, cutting edge psychology is holding any longer um cutting edge psychology is, is is redemptive it's 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 about um it's uh and and, and cutting edge spirituality and ruchlias and, and, and it's it's a it's about giving people new ways of thinking about themselves and and the possibility of of thinking about yourself as someone that's already perfect and whole and in the place of the wholeness in the place of perfection dealing with your imperfection so there's two ways how to think about this about yourself like one is i'm a broken person for for trauma for mm. existence i'm broken i'm trying to heal myself and uh and and but my definition of self is that, that I'm a broken person. The other definition of self is actually I'm whole. And the reason why I'm saying this is you're whole is it actually goes back to what we were talking about before. You're part of right. In, you're part of the everything. Like if in in the consciousness of of unity, nothing is actually happening to you. You're part of what is happening. So you can't have any trauma. Like the tree doesn't have trauma when there's a, when there's a when there's a storm, right? The tree is going through the storm. Part there's of the a narrative that gets layered on it. Again. Correct. In other words, the, the world is the, the world is happening, right? You're happening in this world, and then you're giving a narrative to that happening. But in the highest level of who you are, you're happening. But what you what you're talking about, a lot of the concepts you're talking about, yeah. I I started going to therapy in two thousand eight. Yeah. And did everything I can EMDR and uh, I don't know. DBT and yeah. I, everything I can think of that eventually became 12 steps and uh -huh. whatever was available to me I took uh, crushing crystals and drinking them and acupuncture and I just wanted to I've heal I've never heard about crushing crystals and drinking them okay that's interesting <laughs> okay. everything I don't know yeah. What the, yeah. everything under the sun okay can, fine fine it's like if it can if it can help right. me why not um, there was a shift that happened with psychedelics that a lot of what you're talking about, I don't think I would have understood what you're saying. Okay. The oneness, the connection, right. the expansiveness, the seeing it. Right. You see, but you see, once that shift happens, the conversation stops about trauma. Correct. It's a, it's a different conversation. Yeah, it's not about trauma. Exactly. That's why I think a lot of, a lot of, unfortunately, it's fortunate and unfortunate. A lot of rabbis today, popular, 
talk about trauma and talk about trauma and trauma, which is actually better than not talking about trauma. Right. right? So that's already a, a step up. But it's not really what people are needing anymore. That's not, they haven't done enough psychedelics. I don't know. They haven't, <laughs> or they haven't been, they're not enlightened. In other words, they haven't really got to the place of yichud. Like, if, when you get to that, what, you, what you're experiencing, whatever you're experiencing, right. that point of, of knowing that is, it's not about trauma. It's about actually, it's about being larger than the trauma and holding that space that can, can hold that place of the trauma as well. Being that place of the wholeness of, of existence that contains also the drama of ego, of, of, the, of the experiences of ego. Right. The other side of that only, I understand exactly what you're saying. The other side of that is that someone who's living in the trauma will have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So meaning, so they have to be induced to the experience. Exactly. Like, so I think, I think, I think you can you can do it with like deep prayer and deep meditation and deep kavana, deep yuchudim. I think it could be done without actually psychedelics. So I think it could be done. So I can. T- I had a very interesting. Um, uh, I've I've had very many experiences very connected to to Judaism and different concepts. But there was one experience that I had once where it was um, like some childhood resentments, and sometimes in there there can be a sense of. Do you want to go into this? Or do you don't want to go into this. Do you want to open this door? Once you right. open the door, then you get thrown around the room. But right, right, right. You just not to. So I said, okay, let me go into this room. Let me understand it. And when I went in, I was very surprised at what I encountered. But what it was was um, a very deep anger that felt like a good mm-hmm. anger at Shabbos being destroyed for me. Like, why did you tie up? Why was so much trauma hmm. from other people and control and whatever garbage? Wow. Why did it have to be associated with Shabbos? I didn't expect to see this. I didn't. It wasn't what I. Right. I would have never guessed in a million that's years that I would have opened that door. And that's what I was upset at. Wow. Like, how did you destroy this? And after a few months afterwards, after that experience, um, I was involved with this charity campaign, this $50 million charity campaign, a lot of things. So I know Rabbi Yassi Gordon a little bit, Chabana campus, and he tells me, oh, this is something nice. It's common to write good news to the Rebbe when you, something. I said, okay. You know, I felt kind of proud of that I was involved yeah, in Shabbos. this oh. thing. What? Oh, yeah, involved in this project. Okay. In this project. So I wrote a letter about it. And in response was a scathing letter about Shabbos. <laughs> like stuff that <laughs> people didn't portray the Rebbe's uh-huh. writing. Something about a guy going on a boat and <sighs> knowing he's going to be going on Shabbos and the person's not respecting Shabbos. Like, whoa, you know, stuff like this. And combined with some other stuff that we're having and having this experience on ayahuasca like two months before, um, I said, okay, you know, I'm going to put my phone away on Shabbos. I'm going to start doing a little bit uh, more for it. And since then, now it's like Shabbos has become a thing, and I feel it it, I feel deeply, I, yeah. I look forward to it. And I don't know, meaning maybe Shabbos has like ha, had it to offer me in this way, but I... You don't I, know if it was without the experience. I don't know if without it. that experience, it would have shook it loose for me. Mm-hmm. It, w- it could have been that each time I heard these words, there would have been Association associations. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not saying this is everyone's right. experience. I don't. I don't hear this from everyone. I, right. I, I know I have I ten it. years of experience, you right. know, working and working through things, and right. I still do. I'm still. Uh, I'm. I'm often with a pen and paper, journaling right. and working right. through emotions and different stuff. So, and I know people who are going from journey to journey, hoping right. that that right. heals them. Course, so I know I course. approach things possibly in a little bit different way, but those are my experiences. I got it. I understand. I listen. I, I hear you. I think a lot. A lot also has to do in general, call in life. In general life is that we have to be open to experience everything that we think we know in a different way because or else life becomes very stale like right. and stagnant so Shabbos okay I know what Shabbos is the moment you say you know the moment you say you know 
You don't know anything. <laughs> right. We don't know. We have to live with with wonderment, with with, with constantly uh, in awe of of the involvement. You know, I, I, I spoke about this on Shabbos all this time because it's coming to mind. Talking about Suffolk, talking about Amalek, Amalek, we read the Parsha, right. Amalek is the idea of, is the same numeric value as Suffolk? Of doubt. And so I will say, okay, so what's the, what's the, the tikkun, what's like the rectification of doubt? So most people say the rectification of doubt is, is certainty. Like I'm going from a place of doubt to a place of certainty. But vinahapachu means you transform it. Like what we right. said about Baal Shem. So doubt has to be holy. You can, if you try, if you transform doubt into, into certainty, then it's not doubt. So you want to go down into wonder. Exactly. Holy wonder, holy doubt, holy doubt is, is like, doubt like cynicism. Like yeah, the, the negative doubt is cynicism, but the positive doubt is like I don't know. I, actually, I don't know anything. Tell me, I'm like that. wondered. You imagine, you, imagine, imagine it's the first time you saw a sunset in your life. You'd be standing there for hours, right? Imagine the first time you met your wife. Yeah. Now, right? Imagine you come home tonight and you say, "Oh, wow, who are you? Wow!" I'm like you meet, you meet your children. There's a sense of wonder, and the truth is, life is always in a state of becoming, and life is always new. Right. And so you talk about Shabbos, talk about anything, talk about, talk about, open a Siddur. Imagine someone told you that there's, they just found the manuscript, like hidden in a cave in like somewhere in, uh, with that, mm-hmm. of King, Psalm, King David's Psalms that he wrote. You're <laughs> like, whoa, King David's Psalms, really? What did they find? You'd be like, every word would be so precious, but yeah, okay, you're reading Tillam, okay, whatever. In the sound, we become so desensitized. dull, desensitized yeah. to like yeah. life. It's like, but to enter in a state of, which, which is, by the way, this is actually uh, a blessing of, of, of this generation that we live in. The, the curse of this generation is that relativity became such a phenomenon, not only a scientific phenomenon, but it became such a phenomenon in like human consciousness based on right. 100 years ago. Nothing is true. Nothing is true. So, so when nothing is true and nothing is meaningless, that's why people don't have gender, identity, everything, everything is right. fluid, nothing is really true. Then the question is, what is your truth? And... It could be two things. You can do two ways. One way is like, okay, I don't know. Like, okay. Or is like, I can stand up for a truth. I can choose my truth. And when you choose your truth, every single day is a new choice. So if every day you say, yesterday you were a Jew. Okay. This morning when you wake up, are you a Jew? Right, choose again. Choose again. Wow. When you say, I'm choosing to be a Jew today. I'm choosing to be a man today. I'm choosing to be free today. It's not because yesterday. No, doesn't, there's no proof. Just because I was yesterday, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Today, every single moment, I'm actually, the, the freedom of the relativity of the, of the non, of the, the, the absolution of all truth allows a person to actually choose truth every single moment, which is tremendously freeing. Because every single day, I'm recreating myself. Today, today is going to be a different day. Today, 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 I'm going to be a Jew today. Right, so you're saying it's taking that same, same feeling. Same feeling, but and then transforming it, it positive. Right. Same idea with the doubt. To live with that wonderment. Nothing is expected. I don't expect anything from anybody. I don't. I don't expect my wife to act a certain way, my children to act a certain way. Why should I? Because that's what happened yesterday. So what? Right. <laughs> but imagine every single day, I'm like, wow, you did that for me. That's so nice. You're such a wonderful person. Oh, you, wow. I'm so appreciative. My wife and I went to a couple's workshop yeah. with this woman, very special. And she started with this saying by Marcel Proust. Saying uh, the journey of life, I'm probably misquoted, yeah. but the journey of life is to see old pastures with new eyes. Correct. Right. And this was the example she. Well, well, Marcel Proust. That's that's his whole. I don't know if you're familiar with his literature, but that's his uh-huh. whole. Oh, that's his whole thing about looking at a, at, a, at, a, at a cup of tea for for an hour. That's like he writes about this. That, that's Proust. That style of living, which he was Jewish. I mean, uh, that that that, right. that that type of uh, aliveness of like 
wow, I'm holding tea in my hand. It's like, how does tea come? Like, how did it happen? Like, someone had to like fetch the water. Someone had to make it hot. Like, there's so many things that happened to make this cup of tea. It's like, what a wonder. Right, the curiosity of life. The curiosity, the wonderment, to live with, with, yeah. with wonderment in life is to live like a child. Tikkun is tinoik. You know, it's the same letters. That tikkun, to live with tikkun, is to live like a child. And if you don't live like a child with wonderment, then you have nituk. You have separation. You're cut off. A child is always in wonder. Beautiful. Thank you so much. My this pleasure. Is, this is great. I hope you feel more energy. I feel all energized. I've got that. Of course. Conversation. Of course. Okay. I feel depleted and energized. Okay. Okay. All right. Physically and mentally. Okay. Perfect. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll do it again. Ritz Hashem.